I'm Danielle. I'm Fran. And this is Snow in the Mountains. Fran, we're back again this week and uh, doing something a little different this time. We've actually got um, some guests that we're going to interview for this very interesting story this week. Um, Before we get into that, how's everything going? It's going well. Uh, I'm packing and unpacking. I looked at the weather. Uh, it's my sister says, oh, bring shorts. It's going to be warm. Uh, Nancy, this is London. It does not get warm. It's rainy and it's going to be 60 degrees. <laughs> I am in the literal exact same situation. Totally had all of my stuff packed and, um, you know, having to reconfigure because we're going to have a lot of rain too. But rain has never stopped me from having a good time. I'm certainly not made of sugar. And I'm sure you guys are going to do all the things on your list while you're in London. So that's right. Um, well, we've got quite a bit to, to get into today. So why don't we just go ahead and kick things off? Um, Fran, what year are we starting out in? Well, this is 1979 and I had been an agent about, uh, two years. Uh, I was working with another agent at this time. Uh, his name was uh, Jim Hallman and, uh, he had already been on the Bureau probably at least five, six years by that time. He and I got a call to go to Oglethorpe County, Georgia. Uh, and this was in the early part of 79. And what had happened was the clerk's office, uh, someone in the clerk's, clerk's office there had discovered that uh, a lady uh, in her late 50s who was a tax assessor there in the county her name was Ray Sisson, and um, there's still there's still a little building there. It's a little rock. This old traditional kind of unique rock-looking building is right directly across from the courthouse. It said uh, Sisson's Tax Service. I'll never forget it. But anyway, she um, had been going into the clerk's office and to the to the deed room and researching some deeds and found uh, numerous properties where she and another gentleman uh, whose last name is Matthews, Mr. John Matthews was a co-defendant, had conspired to file quick claim deeds on these properties. And of course, uh, when you file a quick claim deed, uh, anybody can do that, but to do it fraudulently for the purposes of uh, what they were doing was going in, filing these quick claim deeds, and then cutting the timber, clear cutting timber off of the property. So stealing land um, right. from people who, I mean, these are, I mean, Oglethorpe County is still largely to this day, um, you know, vast swaths of land, very wooded. It's a very agricultural community. So these could be properties that people don't live on, don't actively farm, don't necessarily, you know, spend any time at. They could just be, you know, investment properties. So how long were they getting away with this? Well, um, I don't think anybody really thought much of it uh, until she started doing it quite a bit. And uh, one of the properties that after we learned that she was doing this, one of the properties that we dug into um, 
we found out it was 207 acres. Uh, and it was on um, Bethesda Church Road. Okay. And the records show it went back as far as 18, the 1890s. And it was owned, it was legally owned by Charles W. Cyberling. Charles W. Cyberling was the co-owner with his brother of Goodyear Tire in Akron, Ohio. Well, I've got some history on Goodyear Tires because I think it's important to sort of understand who the Cyberlings were and how they came into their wealth. So, um, you know, we're typically hanging out in the 70s and 80s, but I'm going to take you back further into history so that we can understand the very humble beginnings of one of the world's most recognizable brands today. So in 1898, Frank Cyberling borrowed $3,500 from his brother-in-law, Lucius Miles, for the down payment needed to buy an abandoned strawboard factory on the banks of the Cuyahoga River in Akron, Ohio, and founding the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. Um, Frank and his brother Charles found the company with an initial capital stock of $100,000 on August 29th. The company was named in honor of Charles Goodyear, who discovered the rubber vulcanization process in 1839. Um, David Hill is named the president. Production of carriage tires, bicycle tires, horseshoe pads, and rubber sundries begins on November 21st. And by December 1st, uh, the companies recorded their first sale of $25.80 in rubber tubes for pharmaceutical bottles. Um, 1901, their first advertisement in the Saturday Evening Post with the Wingfoot trademark that we know today is released. 1902, they start construction on a brand new factory building that is four times larger than the original plant. Um, 1903, Paul Lichtfield is granted a patent on the first tubeless automotive tires. 1905, Goodyear becomes the industry leader in the manufacture and sale of carriage tires with 300 people employed and 28 in the sales department. The very next year, Frank Cyberling becomes the president of Goodyear, and they begin to produce the world's first quick, detachable, straight side tire. Uh, the following year, um, this is big news for them. They sell 1,200 sets of tires to Henry Ford for use on the Model T. Um, and they're so busy at this time that their factory in Akron starts a night shift and they open a branch in Detroit. In 1908, it's time to expand again and a large addition to the factory is built. The first all-weather tread design is adopted, uh, which is a diamond-studded pattern used only with minor modifications for the next 40 years. And um, come 1910, Goodyear expands internationally and opens up its first subsidiary and plant in Ontario. By 1911, the Akron plant is operating 24 hours a day, and in 1912, they open a branch in London, and this is the same year in which the very famous Goodyear blimp will make its debut. So Goodyear continues to expand both in America and internationally, and the growth is obviously exceptionally fast because by 1916, they're known as the world's largest tire company and initiates the slogan, more people ride on Goodyear tires than on any other kind. So we actually have a great photo uh, to share on our social media channels um, from the 1940s or 50s of the Cyberling Tire Store located on Euclid Avenue in Atlanta. So how did we get the Cyberling Tires? Well, um, Goodyear actually uh, today is valued at $2.86 billion. I wonder what the Cyberling brothers would have to say about that because going back, 
After serving as the company's president for 15 years, Frank Cyberling and his brother Charles refinanced and reorganized the company in 1921 when they resigned from the company and founded the rubber entire company, the Cyberling Rubber Company. Um, this was in Barberton, Ohio. So they supplied tires for heavy artillery pieces in World War II. In the mid-1960s, Cyberling launched a new type of tire aimed at the muscle car market, including the famous look of the white wall tire. Don't you just love those on cars? They're gorgeous. Um, they were a huge name in the business, but despite their early successes, they failed to catch up with the market changes. And in 1965, they were um, purchased by the Firestone Tire and Rubber Company, which is another huge name in the business. So although Cyberling tires are no longer sold in the U.S. market, the brand name is still used in some countries and is aimed at the budget-oriented customer in select sizes. So this is a bit of backstory on the Cyberling brothers and where they came from. And I wonder how these men ended up with property in Oglethorpe County, Georgia, of all places. Well, this the story goes on from, from my uh, involvement in it. Once we found out uh, who actually owned the property that uh, was clear cut for, for profit, um, we were able to contact uh, Charles's son, Charles Cyberling's son, who at that time was 79 years old. Wow. His name was Theopolis Carnigan Cyberling. What so, a name. That's a mouthful. <laughs> it's very regal. And so uh, he goes by TK. And so uh, Mr. TK Cyberling uh, came to the Atlanta airport. I picked him up, drove him back to uh, Lexington, Georgia, where he uh, went into the clerk's office with his legal documents and um, paid his back taxes on, those pro on that property and filed the necessary documents to reclaim the land that his father had purchased so many years ago. Right. Uh, and um, that was also, you know, part of the, the legal aspect of the case to to uh, show that she had actually, in fact, you know, forged, done forgery and conspired to, um, you know, scheme to acquire the land to, uh, you know, through fraudulent deeds. Right. So we uh, at that point. Time passed and then November comes around. And uh, it was November the 12th of 1979. Again, we're, we prepared for court. Uh, Miss Sisson had been arrested and processed. She still lives in, in Lexington. Um, and we were getting ready to go to trial that morning. Uh, Agent Hallman had gone to the courthouse and I had gone to the Atlanta airport to pick up Mr. Cyberling to bring him to court. Uh, at the airport, course you know this is before cell phones again and and anything like that i got a page at the airport to call headquarters and wow. headquarters uh informed me that um that uh the defendant uh ray sisson had committed suicide that morning no the morning of the trial the morning of the trial ah, so and she did it in her so little close. office across the street and um, I guess she just, you know, couldn't face the music, so to speak. So, uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Sisson. There's no was, bigger indicator of guilt, I think, than, uh, um, you know, this, yeah, making Mr. sure you won't be showing up to trial. 
Right. Mr. Sisson, uh, he was off the plane and and we were waiting there and he says, well, I guess that's the end of that. And basically turned around and got back on a plane and flew back to Ohio. And I haven't no spoke to way. him since. No way. So well, that's that's how that particular case went. But but the interesting part about it, and I, I did a little research and um, I pulled the record under Q Public and found out that um, that particular track of land was, is still in the name of Matthews. So I got curious to, and wanted to know why, why is that land still in the name of Matthews when right. Well, and like, which Matthews is it? Did it, yeah. did, was the deed ever, you know, put back in the name of the Cyberling family? Well, is, that's this, what... is this that Matthews or right. is it just some crazy coincidence that a different Matthews owns the property today? Correct. So we, uh, so I contacted um, the uh, clerk's office there in the deed room asking questions. And they suggested that we talk to uh, Ken Kim Caldwell. He's the chief appraiser in Oglethorpe County. And uh, we're going to be speaking with him in just a minute. That's awesome, Fran. Good investigative work as usual. Um, Fran and I have a special guest today to talk to us a bit about um, the history of, you know, land and title and tax in Oglethorpe County. So we want to welcome friend of the show, Mr. Kim Caldwell. Good morning, guys. Um, uh, thank you for having me on. Um, I, uh, I'm Kim Caldwell. I have, uh, I'm a lifelong resident of Oglethorpe County, and uh, I have been for the last 20-plus years the, uh, what I like to refer to as public enemy number one, the chief tax appraiser for the <laughs> county. <laughs> said you don't need my old bulletproof vest, do you? Probably could use it, yes. There are times <laughs> when we feel like we need it, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, know it's uh, I, I love what I do. Uh, like I said, I've been here all my life. And so uh, most everybody here knows me, especially the um, longtime residents. And uh, of course, we get to meet new people almost on a daily basis coming into the county. So uh, I really enjoy what I do. Yeah, and what an interesting perspective you must have on the history and the development of your area because you get to see things from sort of the back end, you know, the the documentation process of land transfer, land purchase, land development. So what can you tell us about uh, the property in question today? Like most of the rest of the county, it's it's largely a, a the, the county itself is, is pretty much that way, although we are seeing um, quite an influx of new uh, residents, people coming in, uh, trying to escape the, the um, city life, I guess, the rat race a little bit. And so uh, that, that track has, has always been a rural track, a timber tract, if you will. And uh, so it's, it's a big tract of land. Um, I think now it's listed as 207 acres. Uh, and I think back during the uh, 1970s and 80s, it was a small, a little bit smaller, about 160 acres or so. so. Okay. The people that um, have lived in that area for, you know, the generational, I guess you'd say, people that have lived there, mm -hmm. um, they 
have mostly has it mostly been a farming community in that area or was there other industry or you know what other types of um revenue was kept the people you know uh, oh, to yeah. stay there yeah yeah largely farming agricultural um some uh another big industry here of course is is timber uh timber harvesting uh also um uh, granite mining quarrying uh you know right next door in elbert county uh you know elbert county is often uh, is known as uh the granite capital of the world and they have a lot of yeah it's it's the granite capital and uh a lot of that granite does come from Oglethorpe County, so we do see quite a bit of, of uh, granite quarrying going on here. Uh, we have some huge granite holes, uh, particularly on the uh, kind of the north, northeast end of the county. Um, but of course, timber production, timber harvest, uh, logging, all that is pretty much countywide, uh, as is the agriculture. What what can you tell us about any gold mining prospects from the history of the county, if you know of any? Well, I know very little about that, but I have heard that there, you know, at you know at various times in in the history there was uh, there was some gold mining going on. I don't know how productive that was, but um, I have heard that talked about at different times. I know that you've been there quite a while. I know this particular case that, that I was involved with, with, um, with Ray Sisson, was uh, probably a shock to the community there. And I know you were a young man when, when this went on. What do you recall being said, or how did it affect you and in, in your relationship with that family? Well, it, it was quite a shock for me and my family because we were friends with the Sissons and uh uh, Ray and her husband Lee were always, uh, you know, very good friends of of my parents. And um, yeah, as a child and a teenager, I uh, I can remember uh, we didn't live very far from the Sissons, and they had some creekfront property. And of course, as a, a young boy growing up in rural Georgia, uh, just spent a lot of time on on the water, on creeks, and in the area, and. And uh, we really enjoyed going down and visiting with Lee and Ray. And they would take us out on the boat sometimes up and down the creek. And we would fish and, and just sightsee and, and just loved it, you know. And so. Sounds like a uh, great way to grow up. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, summertime, you know, we, we, were, we were out and about. We were not at home. The, I, I'm the oldest of three boys. And we were always on some adventure. Uh, out in the woods. On the yeah. That's right. That's right. Well, and, you know, you really struck a chord with me when you said that people come to your county to sort of escape the rat race and lead a more rural life. That's exactly what my husband and I did with our families so that our children can have uh, a childhood more in line with the one that you had, you know, putting yeah. your bare feet on the ground and exploring the world around you and focusing more on the present moment rather than what's happening on the internet, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm so glad we didn't have all of the, uh, well, the cell phones even, you know, back then. I mean, it was just a much simpler time and, and, you know, I cherished my childhood. I, I just loved every minute of it. That's wonderful. Kim, have you heard of any other um, situations like this 
uh, having heard of what um, Ray did with this, uh, you know, the uh, land grab and the fact that they she cut the timber and, and did all this with this Mr. Matthews. Did you ever hear of any other situations like that over the years? And I mean, you don't have to name names, but I was just curious if there was any other types of situations come up. And this is not just generic to Oglethorpe County. This happens in other counties as well. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, particularly being in the job that I'm in, uh, you know, of course, oftentimes we'll get, uh, you know, maybe not to that scale, but uh, property line disputes, um, just different things between, you know, neighboring tracks a lot of times and uh, generally not not very much um, really criminal things going on, but uh, just, just disputes between neighbors about, you know, you're encroaching on my property or somebody might have, you know, they claim somebody moved the pins on the property line or whatever. And mm -hmm. uh, we, we do see quite a few of those disputes, but nothing, you know, like the scale we're talking about with uh, – with cutting races. the timber, yeah. yeah. What is uh, one is? Uh, I'm sure you have one of uh, one incident you can probably recall that that is kind of uh, maybe gotten in your craw or something mm -hmm. that you that has bothered you in your 20 year plus career of uh, doing uh, this type of work. Is there any one thing that has really uh, stuck with you in any particular case that you've worked? Well, the, uh, a couple really, but there, there's one that's uh, going on right now that um, is involves the, um, like, I don't know if you've heard about the sludge um, being dumped on some of the agricultural properties around. Um, mm. it. That's okay. I can manage it. It's no problem. Yeah. It's, you're talking about, you were talking about the sludge that's currently being dumped. Is that by um, uh, commercial industry that's coming out and dumping? Right. And they have an agreement with the landowners and I think they pay the, the, the landowners uh, pretty good money to, to dump the sludge on their property. But for the adjoining landowners, it's really a, nuisance because the smell from what i understand is is pretty bad and so uh the county has kind of tried to fight that through the epd and epa but really they've not had much success with that and so i know the adjoining landowners are not happy with that and uh you know not only the smell but i think runoff uh you know eventually it winds up in the creeks and of course, as we just talked about, I've always been a big fan of the of the uh, creeks around and the and the water, and and I, you know, would hate to see something damage that, you know. Yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate for protecting our waterways, and we have so mm -hmm. much beautiful water in the southeast. Um, mm -hmm. My family and I are on the rivers quite a bit, uh, kayaking and paddleboarding. Um, oh yeah. So kind of to piggyback on what you said about the sludge, and by the way, I didn't realize until now how much I dislike that word. <laughs> um, can, can you speak at all to, you know, obviously there's the, the criminal act of the quitclaim deed and taking somebody else's land, but mm -hmm. 
you know, cutting the timber is essentially you've stolen somebody's land and now you've defiled it. So Mm -hmm. can you speak at all to, um, you know, how clear cutting the timber would affect the property value of these vast swaths of land? Yeah, I'm, uh, of course, my family's history, uh, my father, my uncle, um, brother, cousins, we've all, uh, it's been a, uh, a logging family, basically. I mean, we, we're in the business and um, we understand, you know, that uh, forest, uh, forestry and, and, and healthy forestry management involves cutting timber. But uh, when you clear cut a track, uh, particularly along a stream or whatever, you really do damage to it. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a long term effect with the runoff into the streams around. And then, of course, uh, you know, the loss of wildlife habitat. Um, so, you know, good forest management is key. And, uh, you know, most uh of the logging outfits in the uh, timber industry, they try to manage that to where, you know, the, uh, what they cut, uh, what they harvest actually is healthy for the forest. It keeps, you know, down the the risk of uh, forest fires and and things such as that. Um, You mentioned, you asked me earlier about uh, any instances of, of things that were going on that I didn't like that I wasn't a fan of. And, one of those, and I may get in some trouble here saying this, but one of those involves the um, uh, installation of a, a solar farm down on Broad River. Okay. Did you know that uh, the Broad River was infamous for smugglers to br- to bring in uh, loads of marijuana back in the in the eighties? Uh, I don't know if you heard me or not. I I did. I'm sorry. I did hear you. Um, Yeah. The Broad River was, uh, I worked a big case in Augusta, which is going to be another episode we're going to put out. Uh, There was a big smuggler that lived in in Lincolnton, Georgia. Mm -hmm. Uh, His name was uh, Larry. His nickname was Red Evans. Evans, yes. Yeah, Larry Evans. And he was a big smuggler huge mm-hmm. and uh, he was bringing in dc3s and huge planes into uh, a dirt strip down on the broad river and and elbert county and down in that area but mm-hmm. yeah the broad river was uh, notorious for uh, pilots to be you know flying in over there so yeah your, your county was one of the ones that was spared for those bigger do- dopers <laughs> <laughs> well, they used to be, and I don't know, of course, again, I was I was growing up during that time, but uh, I know there used to be a lot of uh, rumor about planes dropping uh, contraband and stuff in farmers' fields and having deals with the, the local landowners to, you know, to just have a drop site in a, in a field or whatever around. And, you know, again, I don't know how true that was. Oh, yeah. Well, We've touched on that uh, in a previous episode um, up here in, in North Georgia. So always oh, yeah. very interesting. Um, <laughs> so from my understanding, uh, Kim, is that, you know, if you're to go onto somebody's property and clear cut, obviously, like, like you said, with your experience in a logging family, 
Um, mm -hmm. It's a very detailed and, you know, important process to preserve and protect that land so that you can continue your operation. So I, mm -hmm. I guess what I'm asking or trying to clarify is that not only was this land stolen, but the clear cutting of it had serious implications, you know, for the financial future of the potential of the property. So had Ray made it to her trial, this probably would have um, had some pretty serious repercussions. I would think so. Uh, yeah, that uh, track that size, uh, I'm sure there was, um, you know, an, a, a nice, uh, nice chunk of change made off of that transaction for cutting the timber and, uh, or, you know, that would have been a, a pretty sizable track. Yeah. The, um, that would have been a sizable transaction, particularly if it was clear cut, uh, you know, close to 200 acres. Um, and yeah, like you said, it would have been detrimental uh, for that track for years to come because uh, unless you're actively um, uh, working the property uh, to reforest it, you know, to replant it uh, or what have you, um, yeah, you're, you're devastating the, the, uh, they're devastating the natural environment for the, all the habitat there oh yeah yeah and 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 see that's uh kind of been my uh problem with the solar farm going in down on broad river uh they cut 1300 acres of of trees uh off of that tract and pretty much uh just decimated the the forest there of course to clear cut for the solar panels the solar farm and uh I don't know, I, just from my standpoint, you know, you're talking about that being a green energy source. Looks to me like we destroyed the green to get to the solar farm. So well, surely there's some open pasture that could have been used for the solar panels. And I, of course, I mean, I'm very environmentally conscious. Uh, my mm -hmm. entire business is based around being eco-friendly, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, we've got to, we've got to do better for the planet if we want to continue to live here. Um, I, I absolutely agree. And I just, like I said that, and I agree with uh, just what you said, my, that's been my argument, you know, surely we had some open land sure. that, that would have sufficed as opposed to having to cut down 1300 acres of just natural, uh, beautiful trees and, and, you know, forest environments, uh, wildlife habitat. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But well, I, I have another question for you, and it's uh, a bit of a more personal question about Ray Sisson. Um, knowing mm -hmm. that your family was so so tightly intertwined with them, do you mm -hmm. have any indication of how Ray came to be connected with John Matthews? Uh, well, you know, this is a small community, and, and uh, you know, they, they didn't... Uh, I didn't realize until that happened, I guess, that they were that close. Yeah, she was, uh, uh, quote, unquote, the tax lady around here. She um, did tax preparation here in the in the county. And uh, I'm assuming that may have been how they came to know one another. I don't know that for sure. So that's just speculation on my end. But, okay. um, yeah, and, and until that uh, that came out that they were – together on that deal uh you know i had no idea that they were that close that you know working together like that in cahoots yeah and and you know i went to church with uh with mr matthews uh, you know uh no i'm friends with all of his 
his children. And so, um, you know, they're about my age and, and, you know, we were, uh, pretty good friends. And so, you know, all of that came as a shock to me as a, as a, what, 14, 15 year old kid, uh, yeah. when that happened. So, um, yeah, I just, I just saw him in a, in a positive light always, you know, and so for, for that to come about was just a shock. Well, sometimes good people make bad choices and yeah. while it could be, you know, maybe perceived as a somewhat victimless crime, you know, to start with, um, it does seem like it escalated fairly quickly, but you know, everybody has their reasons and yeah. we'll really never know, um, you know, what the motivating factor was here for uh, Ray and John, aside, obviously, from from the money. So, yeah, yeah. And and I would have uh, just kind of, I guess, from a curiosity standpoint, would have loved to have seen that uh, maybe go to trial and have all that come out. Yeah, I, I would have, uh, you know, really been interested in, in, in hearing the, uh, the testimony in the trial and just maybe maybe I could have understood a little better what was, you know, what was behind it and what was going on. Uh, sure. That, you know, as a kid, I didn't understand. And I still really don't. One of the know, things, uh, one of the things that she told us in her interview, as I recall, and I don't have a written document to go back to. And that's part of the reason why we're doing these um, podcasts uh, is to preserve a record, but uh, the record being so old, it's been destroyed. But my mm -hmm. recollection of her interview was that she said she needed the money to take care of her husband, who was not well. And, and she made me believe that she, her husband was an invalid or he was disabled in some way. That's my recollection of what she said in the interview, that she did it mm -hmm. for the money to take care of her husband. Hmm. And uh, see, I have absolutely no recollection of, of him being disabled. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying that, he, he never was, but yeah, that's the odd thing. Yeah. What yeah. people do or what, why they would say that. And I didn't know, I don't know that we, I don't remember that we went out and actually interviewed the husband, but, mm -hmm. um, but, but that's what came to mind when, when that was said, mm -hmm. we, we thank you so much for uh, being a part of this and sharing your perspective on how it affected you and your family and how it affected uh, Oglethorpe County as well at, oh, yes, at large. I still remember the day, you know, I got the news when it happened and, and my uh, mother was telling me, you know, and after, after I got out of school that day that that, that had happened and just the shock. Yes. I, yeah, I remember that. I really do. Yeah, some things just stick with you forever. They they don't go away and and makes you a part of who you are today, though, you know. That's right. All right. Well, that was awesome. I'm so excited that we got to to talk to you today, Kim. Yes, it, it, it really adds a lot. You, you don't realize how important these little bits and pieces are. And let me say this. We're not here to condemn or or do anything like that. What you know, that's not that's not our goal here to condemn the the perpetrators. We're just here to tell a story. I'm a storyteller and and a researcher, and I and I often wonder why people have done all the terrible things that, that I've seen in my career. Cam, this was a pleasure, and um, you know, it would be great if our paths cross again. And if if you've enjoyed your time with us, we'd be happy to have you back for another story down the road. Absolutely, yes, ma'am. Thank you so much.
when I went to pick up Mr. Cyberling, now this is pretty interesting. When I went to pick up Mr. Cyberling the first time and brought him to the county to file the, the necessary documents to reclaim the land that was his father's land mm -hmm. from the 1890s, he told me that his the story was that his father had purchased the land for uh, gold mining uh, mm. speculation that his father suspected that this particular property had a gold mine streak, you know, gold running streak through it, and that, um, you know, gold was pretty hot back in the day, and that his father was going to mine it for gold. And that's so that's why he purchased that 200 acres. It's pretty interesting. And uh, Fran, we actually have some audio of a brief interview we were able to conduct with uh, Mr. Tom Gresham uh, of Oglethorpe County in regards to gold mining activity. Um, you know, right. He's the historian there and he's going to tell us about history of gold mining in Oglethorpe County. So I was, I was wondering if that was actually a true thing, you know, so yeah, yeah it's, it's true. Awesome. Well, true. let's hear what he has to say. Tom Gresham, I was born in Aiken, South Carolina, and went to the University of Georgia and majored in archaeology and uh, found work almost immediately and went back and got a master's degree and pursued archaeology as a lifelong career and created a small co consulting company in Athens and just retired in, well, I guess it's 2021, shut down the company and retired. And now I'm doing my favorite hobby, which is historic, sort of combining archaeology and history. And we're working on a what we're calling a historic atlas of Oglethorpe County, the county where I now live, trying to locate all the mills and uh, houses and, and uh, schools and churches um, and getting exact locations of them. How awesome is that? Yeah. Oh, it's great. It is. It's fun. It's important work too, I think, to Yes, we we had already recorded all the cemeteries uh, that we could find and we continue to add. In fact, we published what some consider to be one of the best cemetery books in the state of Georgia in 1995 and have subsequently printed five more uh, editions of it. We're up to our sixth edition, making some corrections and additions each time. And we have 460 something cemeteries recorded in Oglethorpe County. That's impressive. And, uh, and as I told everybody all along, we, there are more out there. We haven't gotten them all yet. And, uh, but we keep, getting the word out and keep finding a few new ones here and there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure with some of like the more um, open lots uh, with quite a bit of, you know, considerable acreage, you're finding um, those smaller family plots. Right. Absolutely. And Oglethorpe, you know, is a, is not a highly developed County, lots of woodland and, and um, you know, abandoned farmland. And uh, so, yeah, most, most of all the cemeteries are, are there. They're just, sometimes hidden deep in uh, large tracts of land and uh, but we're, we're finding them slowly That's very and now cool. and now we're doing the the same sort of thing with all these other kinds of resources and uh, and that's going to be even a bigger project but uh it's we're, we're making great strides absolutely what can you tell us tom about uh, like gold mining in your county uh, it, it makes perfect sense to me yeah there was definitely gold mining going on in Oglethorpe county uh you all are closer to the richer belts, gold belts up near Dahlonega, but uh, those belts that cross the northern 
to extend down into Oglethorpe and and, and joining Wilkes County. Wow. And there were there were a number of mines operated. Uh, I know in the 1880s, 1890s, into the 20th century, and I know that the like almost all gold deposits and gold mining, there's a lot of land transactions, speculation, selling and buying going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it makes perfect sense. Uh, in fact, I have I vaguely recall some early newspaper uh, articles from the Times, 1880s and 90s about outside speculators or outside investors, I um, should say maybe, um, buying, buying land that has reputed has gold or an active gold mine. Um, so it all makes absolutely perfect sense. Um, and again, the, these parcels of land and the mines themselves were turning over uh, at a fairly good clip. Um, the gold mining in Oglethorpe never was extremely bountiful, but they were, I, I think some of the operations were certainly covering their expenses, and I think some money was made. Um, I know there was enough gold that a couple of the mines had the stamp mills, the big uh, industrial equipment to crush the rock ore and, and you know, is a process needed to extract the gold. So there were at least two stamping operations in Oglethorpe County, maybe more. Um, but again, after I think it only maybe spanned something like about 30 years and just, again, nobody made enough money to really pursue it much further. Interesting. Very uh, interesting. So the turnover on this land, Tom, I'm assuming it's because, you know, as you had insinuated, it may not have been the most profitable set of mines in the state of Georgia, but also it's dangerous and expensive to operate them. Right. Uh, Yeah. Um, Yes. And uh, that's why, you know, it's not surprising that uh, an outside uh, investor comes in Um, because in you know, the, the county at that time was pretty prosperous on with farming, and there was not a whole lot going on in the 1880s, 1890s, but cotton farming in, in Oglethorpe County. Um, and uh, so, you know, which is, it, it was doing fairly well, but still, you know, a large, large number of people were quite poor at that time. Sure. Um, so uh, like gold does, I think, all over the world for everybody, it creates a fever. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure many people were dreaming of getting rich. What do you know about this specific property that Fran is referencing? Connected uh, to the unfortunately, because I'm on the road, I, I can't look at my maps and, and I, I know the area. But, and uh, you know, I think there may be half a dozen gold mines that are sort of documented that we're, we're going to know where they are. I, I was telling Fran, that is one of the things um, that we're looking to do is to document the gold mines uh, along with about a dozen other kinds of historic resources on this, this project we're doing, but we haven't gotten to the gold mines yet, Yeah. but I, I do know uh, I've just, you know, from the state of Georgia, the Georgia geologic survey, produced two books that describe all the gold mines in in the 1890s and the early 1900s and they include uh, several in Oglethorpe County and on there's an 1895 map of our county that was done by the uh, the retired school um, principal and county surveyor that lists I think three or four of the gold mines so um, 
but I, without looking at my maps, and I and and I have a set of modern topographic maps where uh, many of the gold mines have uh, plotted where they should be, and I I've looked at two of these parcels of land, not the one that Fran's interested in, but two others, and I saw absolutely no trace of gold mining activity. Um, you know, big spoil piles or pits or entrances to mine shafts or anything like that. And, and we do know um, that there were some mine shafts. This is not surface mining. This was drilling in almost all of it was, you know, mining underground, um, not quite like up in the mountains of North Georgia. But um, so uh, I, I can't, until I look at my maps and look at the resources and, and this parcel in particular, I, I can't speak to this specific parcel, but I can next week. Hey, I I like hearing that. <laughs> I mean, okay. We all got to be straight shooters because what we're trying to do is tell people, you know, factual, historic right, right, tales, right. you know? So I appreciate yeah. that transparency for one. Um, Fran, what questions do you have for Tom? Well, I think that's it. I think it would be nice to know. I think um, I'm still very inquisitive about the fact that um, on the records that I looked at today, the Matthews family or someone named Matthews actually owns that 207.65 acres that was in question in this specific uh, case that I worked. So that's kind of, um, you know, it's, it's much of a quandary to me that a Matthews family would still own it when it was actually supposed to have been titled back or deeded back to the Cyberling family. So um, I'm curious to know um, if if it got passed back to Matt or if it never got re-recorded in the course courthouse during this uh, during this case. So that's that's uh, that's something into a little bit more myself. Yeah, I'd love the answers. It's all these years later, and we're still working on a mystery. It's pretty awesome. Well, um, as part of our uh, project of recording all the other historic resources, the churches, the schools, the mills. We've done quite a bit of, of deed research going all the way back to 1794 when the county was founded and even further back than that when it was part of Washington or Wilkes County. So I am not adept at doing that kind of deed research, but a couple of good friends of mine are. Um, I was telling Fran, I, I might get one of them. I, might get somebody to help me for an hour or two on this. Uh, we're trying not to get distracted from our other deed work, but um, okay. it's, um, it, you know, it's not, it actually, it, by our perspective, it's not going back terribly far. Um, and deed searching is, is uh, there are a lot of little stumbling blocks that you can encounter. Often, sometimes you're lucky and you don't hit any, you go straight back and there's a pretty clear chain of title, but um, we never know until you start looking. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Thank you so much, Tom. All right. Good night. You, Tom. Good now. night. So this is all quite interesting. And I love that we have been able to, you know, hear from people in that area, um, people who base their, their lives around this factual information, um, who could help try to paint this picture a little better for us of why the property was purchased in the first place and, you know, sort of how things happened. Um, so Ray 
you know, never was prosecuted for her crimes. Do we have any idea um, what happened with John Matthews? I mean, this property alone, 207 acres, there's, you know, they fraudulently obtained the land. Um, they've committed forgery. There's, you know, they're conspiring to commit additional crimes. Do we know what happened to John Matthews? I don't. I don't know if he entered a plea or if at that particular time um, the prosecutor decided not to go forward with anything. Don't know. And, and I, that's what I'm curious about to determine whether it just, uh, it, it should have gone back to Mr. Cyberling's name and his family name. Yeah, at least and, to the estate. You're right. And on the deed card that I did was able to pull it does show a bertha cyberling so i don't know if that's mr cyberling's tk cyberling's daughter and then she eventually sold it to a matthews i understand from the historian that matthews is a very common name sure. in uh, oldthorpe county so it could all be quite legit you know well it's funny now. You know, your tenure in this investigation happened sort of right smack in the middle of our timeline. And this story goes back, you know, to the turn of the century. And still today, there's a mystery wrapped up in this. So as we do a bit more research, you know, if we get any updates on. Yeah, we'll, we'll update the case as we find it. Absolutely. Well, this is another incredibly interesting case, Fran. I mean, who knew that you could just quit claim property to yourself? And I mean, she flew under the radar a little bit too long, but interesting, interesting stuff here. So thank you for sharing this one with us. You know how much I appreciate it. And um, we will see you guys back here next week for another story about somebody doing something bad. Bye for now. And please behave. See you next time. <laughs>